Welcome to Australian Hunter. I am your host, Ben, and I've got a really exciting show for you this week. I'm going to be playing an interview with Moondwar that I recorded a little while ago. Really, really cool chatting with Bianca and Callum because what sort of emerged in the interview that I wasn't aware of previously was the fact that this was something originally they were working on for a course they were doing, and it sort of later become... And it later seems to have become something broader, something that they were actually really passionate about working on, not just for the course, but to to make something, to create something, that primal desire that I think motivates all the people that I talk to. Really exciting. They'll be coming up soon. Before I get to that, I want to talk about an article that I read. So this article was interesting. The article that it was related to was not really. So the original article was, I have witnessed the death of genres. It was originally a metal hammer. And essentially, it was about a guy's experience going to a DJ set where the DJ played bands like Slipknot, but also bands like Oasis, ACDC as well as hip-hop artists, and extrapolating for that the fact that the crowd enjoyed all of them, that the crowd was indicating a future of genreless music. And that's yeah, it's bullshit. That's really bullshit. What essentially is happening there is you've got an assortment of bands who are mainstream. Slipknot may be aggressive, they may be extreme, but... Although we kind of segregate them in their mind because of their, their, their metal, they're really a mainstream band. They, I think they got platinum for their second album, Iowa. So it's not surprising that music fans going to a place to enjoy music would be not particularly bothered by people playing them mainstream music. Not surprising at all. What was more interesting was the discussion that came up between these two guys called A Dialogue on the Death of Genres in No Clean Singing. Andy Sin from No Clean Singing, and as well as a former No Clean Singing writer, Joseph Schaefer, who now writes for Decibel and Noisy. And the two points I wanted to focus on from their discussion was the fact that they were talking about... They were talking about, one, straightjacketing of bands into particular genres, as well as as well as a hype around particular genre-defying bands, which ultimately doesn't live up to expectations. So, for the first point, this kind of doesn't necessarily have as much to do with genres as it has to do with expectations. People expect what they've already received from a band. So, although the music is really the key thing, and that music ultimately falls in a genre, which is what they expect, this could really apply to a lot of different things, including the way the band plays live, the aesthetics of a band, that but fans can get really attached to and kind of force a band to continue on with, even if the band's not that interested in it. The problem with the genre is that when fans expect a band to play with a particular form of music, a lot of bands get tired of playing genres. That's something I've really come to realise. If you pass about 10 years, bands often want to do something different. And there is a real straightjacketing of bands into a particular style. They feel that they can't experiment. They feel like they can't move on in any way. And if they've lost the passion for that particular music, which I think to varying degrees a lot of bands do because it's a long time to play the same form of music then it makes it really difficult for them but I'm not like that's that's related to genre but it's more about expectations the really interesting thing that they were talking about was the fact that the bands which are often hyped about uh, causing the death of genres you know being genre defying uh, the, the one of the main examples they bring up is Zealand Arda who combines black metal or sort of more broadly extreme metal with traditional African-American folk music is that they often don't live up to expectations. I think they've got a really good point about Zealanada. Really, really promising 
pitch that they're going to combine these really two vastly different forms of music. And although I think some songs are really good, particularly Devil is Fine, really, really amazing track, ultimately the execution doesn't live up to the hype. And I think that's really important to think about. The, the, there's a lot of marketing push about the, a band being genreless or defying genres, but that's a marketing push, not necessarily reflective of some kind of movement or particular instance which could initiate a movement. Some of the bands are actually genre-defying. Uh, I think one of the I think one of the bands I've previously interviewed, Omahara, is in that category, and there's not really many of them for good reason. It's hard to reinvent your sound or specifically seek out a kind of genreless form of music. Is that you know it's, it's a pain in the ass, and it's really not necessarily where most bands want to go. A lot of bands are really more interested in exploring beyond what they're doing, but not necessarily reinventing the wheel every time. I think that's a really important point. For music to actually be genreless, like to say that the future will be genreless, it will be bizarre. I mean, bands like Omahara are interesting, but they're interesting because they're a novelty. They're interesting because they're relatively unique and rare. If bands were actually genreless, that would mean that the entire musical landscape defined categorization. And genres, while a lot of people might get annoyed by discussion of them, are really important because they do adequately describe characteristics in particular bands. There may be far more useful ways to talk about bands, but this is an adequate description of bands, and it can be applied in a wide variety of ways. You can apply it across different bands with similar sounds, but you can also say that bands participate in characteristics of various genres. That summation of all those different genres kind of maybe isn't a particular category in itself, but applying all those different categories to the bands really helps illuminate what their sound is and what their influence is and where they're coming from. So I think genres, regardless of the controversy discussion of them often causes, are very useful, very useful ways to talk about music. Now, Moondweller, they released an album called Meridian a little while back, and I chatted to them about it. Really interesting discussion. And the thing we're talking with a band like this, which has sort of emerged half from a a process which was meant to produce something for evaluation and the other half of legitimate creative impulse to do something that sort of exceeded the scopes of that original um, that original project is that when they're operating entirely from that creative impulse, that's where stuff is going to get really interesting. I can't wait for their next album. The songs during the interview are Ex Nihilo in the middle, Empyrean Flux at the end. So let's start off at the beginning. When did the band start? Uh, we formed in that November last year. I'd say, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was around then. So it kind of came out, it was, we were both at uni at the time, third year uh, music technology degree, so kind of audio design, that kind of stuff. And uh, one of the final projects was, um, well, the brief was to kind of record uh a band kind of do an EP or something like that. It was kind of, I don't know, it was a little bit vague, but we kind of, well, you interpret, the anchor interpreted it <laughs> like this and kind of came to me and it's like, look, do you want to do um, kind of this project? And, you know, I, I had nothing else planned, so it was kind of like, yeah, let's, let's give it a crack. And yeah. kind of that was, yeah, that was kind of how it came around. Um, it kind of just evolved from there into something 
it was originally just going to be for uni and that's it. But mm. we kind of really enjoyed it and we, we started putting lots of money, lots of time into it. So we thought, you know, let's actually just do this for yeah. real. Yeah. And, yes, that's how we are where we are right now. Cool. How do you guys meet? Um, through uni. Mm. Yeah. Mm, mm. Both mm, fair enough. Um, the name Moondwell, where does that come from? That's <laughs> so, um, a kind of. It's basically the backstory of it was we were, and I remember this specifically, we were sitting down, it was, we probably got through a good chunk of the writing process, and it's like, look, we don't have a name. Yeah. And we kind of, we sat down and tried to come up with a bunch of names uh, for a while um, and stuff like that. And then, I, I don't know, we, we settled on a couple of other ones first, let it sit for about a week, and then just decided we didn't like it. Yeah. Um, Moon Dweller really doesn't have any, to me it doesn't have any kind of nah. meaning. It doesn't have any specific meaning. I just like the moon and it sounds cool. And at the time, we like we looked it up and we thought no one else had the band name, but then we were wrong. Yeah. But um, we yeah we just thought it you know it kind of suits the vibe of the music and um, it just sounds cool. Yeah, we'd be um, we'd yeah. be lying if we said there was me. Yeah, there's not really any reason behind it. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair enough. Yeah, it can be very very difficult to find an unused name. Unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> there are a lot of bands out there. Um, in terms of your sound. Were there any bands in particular that influenced the, sort of the music you're writing? Um, well, I think when we started off the process, I was very, um, I was heavily into Alsace. I was having a bit of a phase. Um, I think throughout our, our actual writing, we listened to a lot of like Heartwire and um, particularly the newest album, and. Um, I think a little bit further into our recording process, we came across Mole, so they were a bit of an influence to us as well. Um, it's yeah. it's an interesting one because if before this project, we, in anger and myself, have completely, we both enjoy metal, but it's very much, I'm of a more metalcore background, so yeah. it's like North Lane, uh, Monuments, Architects, that kind of, that kind of jazz. Uh, whereas, yeah, you're kind of more traditional black metal kind of stuff. Yeah. So it was... And all in between. It's, yeah. It, it's an interesting combination of um Very influences. interesting combination and it kind of, I don't know, it was, it was difficult in the writing process to kind of, because we both have very different views of kind of how to write and go about things. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's kind of background-wise, it was just two completely opposite Um Backgrounds, which I think kind of, if, if you listen to the album, you can, you can pick yeah. elements from both. Yeah. It's kind of a weird, very loosely, uh, <laughs> very loose kind of atmospheric black metal yeah. album. It seemed like the best way to describe it uh, because it's kind of, yeah, a little bit yeah. weird. <laughs> definitely, now that you sort of talk about that, I can definitely hear those two aspects coming together because you've got you, the, the atmospheric black metal, um, sort of a little bit of post-rock that you definitely find in especially some of the later Elcest and uh, some of the later Heritoire. But also it's got sort of a, um, I don't know, a cleanness to it that I think a lot of black metal bands try to avoid, which is probably where some of the metalcore is coming from. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and I think we were, it was tough to find that combination to start with of kind of, because originally it was, it was kind of, Black gaze, almost. Yeah, so it was, we were originally set out to do, but it kind of spread 
into like a lot of different elements and it's kind of yeah because we the original plan was to use those plain it was always the idea to use those big clean kind of sections and stuff like that um, yeah it was more so i think not butted heads so to speak but it was a little bit more difficult riding the heavier sections because it was two very distinct directions you could go in. Yeah. <laughs> so finding uh, finding that middle point. But yeah, like the clean sections, I guess, would be kind of maybe more yeah metal yeah. core kind of. I mean, thing. kind of, we wanted to aim for the um, like a crisper production as well. Mm. Like I know a lot of a lot of um, black metal is quite raw, but I think we we definitely and because it was also part of our uni uni like assessments as well. We didn't want to give like a shit recording, <laughs> um, but yeah, we I think we both kind of value good production, so that's something. Mm. It's, it's very much kind of a product that was kind of I don't know, it formed just out of why we were doing it as a as a project itself. So it was kind of bound by that a little bit to start with, yeah. and then now it's kind of. I don't know, this is what we sound like, so I guess we're going to roll it, I guess, I don't know. So you mentioned the writing process. Go into a little bit more detail about how that worked, working on the material for the album. So because um, we did have a pretty, like, strict deadline for to have it, the mixes done for our, um, our uni assessment, we that put quite a bit of pressure on our writing. Um, we kind of we started off in maybe I think November and we went off, we like made a playlist of kind of um, different music inspirations and we listened to that and then we both individually wrote some things like separate from each other mm. and then we came together in about like late December, early January and we just started just jamming things we um we wrote on guitar, um, just recording stuff into like Logic on the computer, and um, we just kind of you know, I guess we kind of made a bit of a riff bank, and mm. we just kind of pieced things together, and then um, it was it was quite hard at times. We had days where we just didn't get anything done, and I think a lot of that was the time pressures that we had. Mm. to get something out there. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was a real, very interesting process because, like, I we, – we have two very different writing styles. I've written a little bit before um, this, and then for Bianca it was kind of, I guess, the first. Yeah. This is my first – I'm from a production background. It's my first time writing, like, anything – my first time playing in a band as a musician and writing as a musician. Mm. So it was very – a new process for me as well. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it, but I guess – you spoke about the riff band kind of idea, but I very much came from a background of kind of writing almost in the opposite to that. So I write kind of primarily around grooves and stuff like that as opposed to riff ideas. I find it really difficult to um, write a riff without, you know, like a drum beat or something. So that was kind of difficult, but we tried to kind of meet in the middle for it and find a technique that, you know, both work. Yeah. Well, work for both of us. And, I mean, yeah, as you said, some days didn't work, some days did work. Like a really good example of that is – Track uh, so X Nilo, uh, that song's the track two or uh, Imperium likes. Uh, well, yeah, Imperium tracks. wasn't that. Imperium came together pretty quickly, mm. but X Nilo was yeah. probably the hardest song. We spent the longest time writing that one because it was we just couldn't 
I don't know. It, was just it, just it wasn't it. working. It was just doing it. it so, yeah, and now it's one of my favourite songs. So. Yeah, a lot of David Wilde's, but, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was um, interesting. Yeah. Fun fact, actually, Great Junket is a track three that was written in about an hour. Yeah. I think. Yeah. So it was, yeah, a complete mixed bag of how long it took. Yeah. Uh, track by track. It was a bit weird. Talk a little bit about individually how, like, let's say you're at home or something, kind of a little bit separate from the specific process of collaboration. Do you guys have a process for writing uh, individually? Not really. I'm I'm really slow. Um, so <laughs> and no, like I I would only kind of write uh, if I needed to. It's not something I kind of would methodically kind of fall into the habit of doing so it's not like I've come home from work and think okay I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna sit down this is my kind of writing time there were years that I did that you know back when I was in kind of high school um, and college where music was more of kind of what I was focusing on um, but now it's kind of just uh, work and then yeah that's about it but um, <laughs> yeah so there wasn't really any set I don't yeah personally I don't sit down and kind of they had time to writing, it was kind of on a need-to-do basis or if I come up with something, I'm kind of very kind of um, impulsive, I guess. You like to write to jumpies. Yeah, it's very kind of impulsive. I'll be sitting there and then have a cool idea and then just kind of record it on my phone or something and then send it to Bianca and be like, hey, check check this out. What do you think? Yeah. Um, so that's kind of how that went for um, me. For me, it's a little bit different because, um, like I said, I'm more of a, from more of a production background and I – only actually picked up playing guitar again in about September last year. Um, before that, I probably hadn't picked up the guitar for about four years. So um, there was a very fast kind of learning curve that I had to overcome. And I guess I'm not very practised in writing, um, I guess, in traditional ways. What I, I, I just normally you know, sit down with my guitar and just really just play around and see what sounds cool and then record it on my phone or record it through Pro Tools or whatever. Um, and, yeah, I don't really have, like, a specific um, like routine that I stick to, but I do try and spend a few hours a week if I have the time just, just like, sitting down with my guitar and playing with no nothing particularly in mind, just seeing what, what comes to me. Uh, in regards to lyrics, Bianca, how did you approach that? Um, well, with the lyrics, I had a um, – we kind of had discussed the album concept before we even began writing anything. Um, so I already had, like, the story in my mind for each, I guess, part on the whole timeline of the album. And so it was just a matter of once we had finished writing – I kind of sat down to it and, you know, sort of the phrasing and that kind of thing and I just kind of wrote um, based on the story that we already had, like, talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very – I actually thought it, it wasn't – it didn't take me that long to write the lyrics. I probably took me about a week all up, um, which I was really surprised about. I thought it would take me a lot longer. But – I think having because we already had that preconceived um, storyline like way before we even started, I already ha- kind of knew what I wanted to write about. I just had to find the words to say it, I guess. 
Inexorable features a monologue. So profound, till they cease to exist. Doesn't even exist. Who are you? Why are you really here? What is the purpose of life? We are stuck in a constant ebb and flow between the trembling fear of the unknown and the burning desire to discover the truth. What made you decide to feature a monologue in that song? <laughs> um, what did? I have no I, idea. I, I don't, don't remember. I, I think I think the story. Um, I think I was thinking of the video clip. We have we filmed a video yeah. clip for that song, um, and I think the story just called for it in my mind. Like, there's no. Because I can't remember whether you'd written the lyrics to it and then we wrote the... Well, I wrote the lyrics, and, yeah. but I thought it needed extra information to actually get the point mm. of that song across. So I thought, you know what, we'll, we'll put a monologue there. Yeah. I, and, just, I just um, remember recording it. it was yeah. Just, yeah. I, funny thing recording that, I didn't want to do it myself, but we didn't have any money left in the budget to get someone else in so I had to do it myself and um had a bit of a performance anxiety moment and it was your big break it was You're just ready. it was not um that was not the best time yeah. recording <laughs> it's a bit of a disaster but it turned out okay <laughs> definitely uh with regards to the other musicians on the album how did they sort of get involved in the process the session musicians um so our vocalist Isaac, he's a good mate of mine, and um, I actually just approached him and asked if he wanted to be on the album, and he was really keen to do that. Mm. Um, our and then the, you say uh, it was, it was Isaac for you, and then a couple of drummers. Yeah. Um, we we used a couple just for logistic kind of reasons. There well, um, of... yeah, we put up a post on um, on Facebook just saying, "Hey, we want." We need a session drummer who's keen. Sam put his hand up, um, and then halfway through recording, he had an injury, so we had to like rush to get um, Nick on board. We were kind of stressed about that because we thought, you know, we had one day left of recording. We still had two songs to go, and no drummer, so it was quite stressful. But um, Nick was really awesome. He came on board super quickly, and he just smashed it out. So, so shout out to him, yeah. actually. The absolute, uh, absolute sequence. sequence. Give him a listen. Yeah. I'm wearing that shirt now, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's kind of, I guess, that kind of about. Because, um, uh, you know, we're only two individuals. Uh, we're in no means singer or drummer. No. <laughs> or anything, like, anything like that. We weren't pretending to be. Um, so I, I guess just, you know, through the nature of it, it, it was the really the only direction we could go in, just get session musicians Yeah. In. Yeah, and they were all kind of, um, like, local upcoming musos. We wanted to try and... Um, I guess employ some like less known musicians mm. as well. But in saying that, I mean, I, I think the other thing that aided towards that is Tazzy has a, a reasonably tight yeah. knit kind of metal scene, so everyone was pretty easygoing and you know happy to help out and just happy to you know get around it because um, we're all doing it for the same reason. I yeah. guess we enjoy it, so that was was pretty easy an easy decision. Mm. Talk a little bit about the back end of the process. Obviously, quite important for you guys, um, being being this kind of project, to 
a get some learnings out of it b sort of be able to put your best foot forward not just from a music perspective but obviously for a sort of evaluation perspective how did you go with the you know recording mixing mastering all that how, how was that process like um i really enjoyed that process it was there was you know we had good days and we had bad days mm. um as it was always going to be the case, yeah it, it was <laughs> easier than the writing process because we we had something to work on. It yeah. wasn't a case of creating something to work on. So and I think we're both probably more like doing the behind the scenes stuff. It's probably more our elements, what yeah. we do anyway. So it's we're more familiar with the process of that. Um, so I mean, if we if we were to look at the um, the deadline of it that we kind of left, I think it was around about a month to mix. Was it? Uh, I can't remember. No, was it, was it, it was longer than that? No, it was less than that. We, it was less than a month. We cut okay. our deadline short. Yeah. Um, we, we had like we had it really well scheduled out and organised, and um, some things didn't quite go to plan, and so our schedule kind of um, diminished. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. Um, yeah, so we ended up with about I think it was about two weeks to get the mixes done. Yeah, and then mastering was after the fact, but um, yeah. Um. But again, it, as you mentioned, it's something that both of us feel reasonably um, comfortable with. Yeah. So it, we were we weren't really stressing too much about the two weeks to do it because we knew we just had to get in and get the job done. Yeah. And at the end of the day, looking back on it, it, it went pretty smoothly, and there weren't too many uh, kind of not arguments, but kind of disagreements, disagreements when yeah. it comes to stylistically where we're heading. Yeah. I think a really big part of that. I uh, so I guess to anyone that asks about it, but we took a lot of time getting good sounds from the source, and it's yeah. something that we was ingrained in us, I guess, through doing, you know, our course. But we, if we can get good sounds from the source and really put the time in beforehand, it made the job a lot easier afterwards. The one thing that didn't work out so well though was when we were doing our clean tones. Um, it, that just that was a bad day all around, and that we the tones that we got um, we ended up with we didn't like, so we kind of had to re rejig those a little bit. Um, but I mean, like I, it was funny because we got we got some really really awesome tones that we loved, and then there was a few that weren't so good, but we kind of didn't have any time left to fix them, so we kind of had to roll with them and make the best. Yeah. Um, the best out of a bad situation, but yeah. um, I guess yeah. Back back to your original question, it was the mixing back end of it was reasonably straightforward. Although it was very, we had some long, long, long days. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I mean, you know, that's what happens. It was all good fun. The title for the album, Meridian. Is there any particular meaning behind that? Well, yes. We we were actually came, we were struggling to come up with a title for the album, and um, we wanted something that kind of fits in with the storyline and actually made sense to it. So what it um, kind of represents is like the and the track Meridian on the album also represents this. It's kind of the halfway point between where things go from like good to bad. Um, so I don't know if you like have like notice what the storyline is, but it's kind of about the um the like creation and then destruction of the earth in broad terms. So like Meridian is kind of the point where it 
kind of goes from everything being all right and then like changing to like basically shit. I think the way happens. I thought of it was it was like <laughs> the eye of the storm and it's yeah I, yeah. I don't know. I think part of the reason was kind of backing off a little bit, and that, I think that's the reason why it's it was an instrumental uh, as well. It's kind of that midpoint. Everything kind of pulls back, and then when it finally kicks back in, yeah. in the next song, it's just all shit hits the fan. Pretty much, yeah. So talking a little bit more broadly about the sort of topic of the album, is that where does the inspiration come from? That is that kind of just the general metal themes of fascination by you know broad ideas of creation destruction or is it inspired by contemporary stuff that's happening now um well i think um i actually don't really know where the inspiration comes from (laughs) to be honest um it's just kind of Actually, no, I do know now that I think about it. Um, so when we started this process, I went – I was a little bit worried about doing the lyrics and whatever. I went back to, through – I did lots of creative writing in high school and I went back through lots of my um, my books and my journals and that kind of thing and found a poem which actually um, Empyrean Flux was – the lyrics for that were based around and the idea kind of sprung from, from that. Um and we kind of had the idea that we wanted the end of the album to be like this big kind of, um, I guess, this big kind of like just a, we wanted to end with a bang pretty much. Um, mm. So I thought that would fit um, like the themes for the, for the later half of the album. And I just kind of, we kind of came up with the concepts based around that. I think, I mean, the other big thing is the album in its entirety is essentially a life cycle in itself. Yeah. If you listen kind of from start to finish, you've got kind of creation through to death. But if you listen to the very end of kind of the the last song, it kind of leads back into the first song and it's just kind of this repeating cycle, which is is life and kind of things like that. In saying that, we didn't really have any too much substance other than putting your poems behind it. It wasn't kind of a topic that was um, at the forefront of our lives or in the news or anything like that. It was simply just was a couple of poems and Bianca just built on that and went from there.
In terms of the future of Moon Dweller, um, do you have any plans to play live? Do you have any plans to um, put out stuff in the future? Where, where, where does this go forward? Um, we definitely want to continue writing music and putting out some more music in the future. I think we need to sort out um, a permanent vocalist before we really – well, not before we do that, but, like, going forward we need to have a permanent vocalist we can't have different vocalists on every album because that, that's, like, such a, you know, a, a crucial part of a sound. Um, so that's something that we need to kind of sort out. Mm. Um, as for playing live, it's it's something that we would like to do eventually, but it's not really logistically possible at the moment. Yeah. And it's not a priority at the moment either. Um, and that was known from the, yeah. the very beginning of this project that it was purely a, a DIY studio-based uh, yeah. band, which had been done before, uh, you know. But if we got a more solid lineup uh, and then kind of, you know, filled in the gaps that we are missing, mm-hmm. um, there's no reason, I don't think, that we play live or anything like that, we happily happily do it. But I think at the moment we're still refining a lot of well, our sound yeah. for one and, and two, um, the lineup. So it's, you know, and I think for, it was the idea for this product. If you're going to do it, you do it properly. So yeah. we're, not, you're not, we're not rushing yeah, not to, rush to get out that. and play live or anything like that. If we're going to do it, we're going to give it 100% and know that um, – We've given it everything and a lot of thought yeah. into it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, in like individually, like time as well is another factor in that. Like we both have a lot of other things happening in our lives as well. So it's not um, something that we could dedicate the time to right now, like touring or playing like lots of live shows either. So in, think, in the future, potentially, but yeah. it's. Um, I think at this moment you'll yeah. still be getting music and uh, we've got. We've got some really cool things planned, so we're still going to be active, but probably for the next year, still in very much kind of a, an online yeah. sense. Yeah. I think, yeah. We're just gonna, we want to focus on writing some rad tunes. Yeah. <laughs> mm, no, that's really cool. It's something to look forward to. I'm um, going to finish off with a couple of questions about yourselves. Personally, uh, when did you start listening to heavy music? Um, well, for me, it probably would have been about grade eight, so maybe when I was like 13, 14, I started getting into, um, heavy music. Uh, I had a very weird kind of, um, music taste. I listened to everything from, um, I don't even know if I want to admit this, <laughs> um, <laughs> I listened from every, everything from like Cannibal Corpse to Bottom of the Dance Floor when I was in high school. So um, it was very, very, very just a weird combination mm-hmm. of different music. Um, I, Kayla Fields were a big band for me list growing up. Um, but I also listened to stuff like Paramore and Flyleaf. And so I have a really, really wide range of music. It probably wasn't until I was maybe six. 17, 18, that I started getting into, like, black metal. Um, and that's kind of what I've been listening to from then on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, I think for both of us, it's quite diverse. I mean, my very kind of earliest introduction to it, I remember specifically, it was Black Sabbath, as 
for a lot of other people it was, but I, I specifically remember like 2000, so I would have been kind of like seven-ish, but I remember Dad having a lot of vinyls and stuff like that as we kind of sit down uh, for tea. He'd, he'd play these vinyls and stuff like that, and kind of that was my very earliest introduction into, I guess, heavier um, music, so yeah. Black Sabbath, Judas Priest, um, stuff like that. And then kind of going through, I think, high school where I, when I picked up guitar, um, I was more interested, I think, in the technical side of stuff, which kind of led me to more progressive kind of stuff, whether it be, you know, um, Dream Theater, Carnival, stuff like that, um, where it was very much more technically based playing and they're really kind of interested uh, interested me and then kind of moving into I guess the heavier stuff which is kind of what I'm listening to now kind of um, yeah, North Lane bands like that just metalcore kind of stuff um, as far as black metal goes this was my first introduction uh, into black metal so I can thank Bianca for that um, because up until then I really yeah I, I didn't really listen to much um, black metal I, I really do like it it's 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 not my you know, it, it hasn't shaped my playing a lot, which I think is evident yeah. for us, you know, how the writing was. But uh, I think the more the more that we're kind of working with it, we're, we're slowly kind of refining our sound, which I think is just more experience and more exposure to it. For me personally, I mean, yeah, as Bianca said, she, she's listened to that stuff a lot longer than I have. But, uh, yeah, that's kind of the, the fuck about way of <laughs> how we got into heavy music. Yeah. Uh, Bianca, from your sort of more close relation to black metal and sort of the specific relationship to, it has to this project in terms of that kind of subset of black metal, atmospheric stuff, black gaze, how did you get into that? Um, well, I think my first introduction, um, I started listening to stuff like A Life Lover and like Apti and that kind of thing. And then um, from there, I kind of discovered Alcest, and they were a huge, huge influence on me. Um, I, I kind of became obsessed with them for a little while. Um, and then just from there, I just really thought, hey, this I'm liking these sounds that I'm hearing. And I just went and, you know, dug deep to find heaps of different bands that are producing these really, like, dark but also kind of calming in a sense um sounds that I just I just really like I yeah um my partner is also very big in into this kind of genre as well so we've kind of like fed each other um like different bands to listen to and we kind of you know when one of us discovers something we share it with the other and um it's just been the last few years have been pretty big like the cycle of like you know finding new bands that make really cool sounds. I think you sort of briefly touched on it. Uh, both of you, how did you get into playing guitar? Um, well, for me, I actually was into it in about high school. I don't really know. I can't remember what encouraged me to pick it up to begin with, but I, for some reason, just started playing, thought it would be really fun. I didn't get um, – I didn't really progress a lot in high school and then I kind of dropped off in 
when I discovered audio, I just kind of put down the guitar and picked up the, you know, mini control, I don't know. But, um, yeah, for some reason I just had last year I just had this really strong urge to try and, you know, do a solo. I actually had an urge to do a solo project, but I thought, hey, actually, no, I can't do a solo project, so I wanted to get um, Calm on board. But I just I, – I don't really know what it was. I just had a really strong urge to – that I wanted to make music. I think it was maybe just working with some really cool bands from the audio side of things, and I thought, hey, I want to do that too. And then I just picked it up again. That's, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, for me it was very similar um, kind of time frame. It was, it was coming into high school. I got my first electric guitar when I was 13, played it for about four months, Figured it was too hard. Um, and then they got a bass guitar, played that for around about, I don't know, probably another four months, then got bored of it and went back to the guitar. Um, reason behind it, I, I'm not really sure why I was just drawn to it. Um, again, probably going back to kind of early influences and stuff like that and what I was hearing. It's like, wow, I really want to be able to do that. Um, and for me, it was very much... In the early stages, if I hear a song, it's like, yeah, I really, I really want to play that. And for me, it was a good way of kind of setting goals um, and kind of finding these songs, learning to play them, and then just moving on uh, to the next one. So it was very much, and then through all of high school and into, um, into college, it was kind of rudimentary kind of practice, practice, practice. So I kind of dedicated a solid um, four years, I guess, four or five years into just pure practice and stuff like that. Um, so then when it came to kind of uh, second year, I guess, of, of college, when the audio side kind of became a little bit more predominant, it was kind of like the anchor, kind of put the guitar down. Not not put down, but kind of switched my focus a little bit more to the production side of things. Because um, I think after, yeah, five solid years of guitar lessons and stuff like that, it was feeling maybe a little bit burnt out. And that was playing in bands and stuff. I guess up until then, nothing serious, more like, you know, your classic high school dad rock cover bands. <laughs> um, but, yeah, kind of very – we kind of both ended up at the same point. Um, but, yeah, I just kind of drilled it into myself, um, playing and stuff like that, maybe yeah. a little bit more. Uh, yeah, my um, my relationship with, like, music in from a musician point of view is very um, – like, I kind of didn't – I, I think I gave up because I thought, oh, this is too hard and it's like heaps of good people and I'm never going to be that good. I had that kind of mindset. But um, from doing, like I said, from like working with bands from the audio perspective and um, even just kind of studying music on, on a deeper level through uni, I've kind of realised that, you know, you, you don't have to be like a, an amazing musician to make good music even though it helps, obviously, but that kind of, I guess, having that realisation kind of, I guess, gave me a bit of confidence to try it myself. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a bit of, I have quite, I've got a bit of performance anxiety, so I'm not really, like, I, I don't like to put myself out there in that kind of a sense very much, but so this was a very big, like, step taking on Moon Dweller. But I think... Um, yeah, just having that realization that you know people can make music, you know, with all sorts of skill levels that 
kind of really, I guess, pushed me to go further with it. Mm, no, that's really cool. For the from the audio side, how do you guys get passionate about that? I don't even know. <laughs> um, um, I guess I, I think we both. We're a few years apart, but we both went through the same um, uh, program in college. We both did vet music, and um, part of that was audio as just like a compulsory thing you had to do. And I guess just doing that, I thought I discovered that I really liked it, and then I took it further and did um, level three audio in college in year 12, and I, you know, discovered that I was actually kind of all right at it and I thought this is something that I really enjoy doing. Um, I think a big part of my push to take it further into university was my um, the teachers that I actually had, my audio teachers, they were really, really great, really encouraging. And, um, mm. yeah, I just thought, hey, this is something I want to do. I, I, I've always wanted, I wanted to work in creative industries, but um, what exactly I wanted to do was I kept changing my mind all the time until I found – that I liked audio, so um, yeah, I just decided to take the leap and go to university to study it, and yeah. Yeah, I think I think for me it was kind of it was pretty similar. It seemed like after playing my music guitar for that long, it's kind of not the next logical step, but after feeling a little bit, I guess, not yeah, maybe burnt out as. Kind of just full on practice and kind of stuff like that. It was kind of, I don't know, it was a door that opened, and I thought, well, it's probably not a bad skill to have uh, in your your uh, toolbox to be able to kind of produce your own stuff. Um, you know, a lot of good stuff comes from home studios uh, these days and things like that. So, and it was just, a, I guess, a common, well, not a common, more so just a, a passion that I had for it. Kind of, yeah, no, it just seemed like the right thing to do at the time. Um, so just kind of went with it and, uh, here we are now. One last question for you guys, and I know it's a really difficult one, but do you have any favorite bands or albums? <laughs> How long do you want to be here for? Um, I'll, I'll start with my, <laughs> yeah, right. So, uh, Carnival, again, they're not, I guess, the most metalcore band, but Carnival for me, uh, one of, if not my favourite band, and their Sound Awake album um, is just—it's phenomenal. It's—I can listen to it from start to finish, not gonna skip any tracks, and it's just you know the whole thing is just a this kind of audio journey, and it's, yeah, it's—I don't know—I could talk about them all day, but yeah, <laughs> real, real quick answer, yeah, Carnival Sound Awake. If you haven't listened to it, uh, go and check them out. Awesome, awesome band. Mm. Um. I find it so, so difficult to choose a favourite. Um, I guess some of the, the bands that have stuck with me for a long time are um, it's quite a varied list of bands, but Trivium are one of my favourite bands. Cradle of Filth have been a huge influence to me from, from high school to now. Um, more recently, Life Lover have become a huge favourite. Um, Alcest, as I mentioned, um, Dead Space, Australian band, they've been a huge, um, they've had a lot of time on my playlist recently. Um, I'm trying to think who else. Oh, bands like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I'm trying to think about the really, really impactful bands that have. Oh, it's so hard, so hard to answer this question. Yeah, it's a re- it's a really difficult question. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, that yeah, that, those are some of the bands, but the the, the list could go on forever. Honestly, um, I, it's impossible for me to pick one favorite because like, I listen to so many different genres and different styles of music. It kind of Depends on my mood and... This was literally a problem yeah. when we were compiling the playlist for reference <laughs> material. You lost a solid, like, week's sleep, I think, compiling <laughs> that thing. Um, and it was, yeah, oh, ridiculous.
That was Empyrean Flux. And in the middle of the interview, we heard Ex Nihilo. Thank you so much for Bianca and Callum to talking to me of Moondwell. Their album Meridian is out now. Really, really cool chat. And I hope in the future we'll hear more from them. I'll be able to talk about it. Really interesting going to be able to contrast those two experiences. The one which is really heavily dictated to by the the necessities of producing a work of art for educational evaluation and then something which is entirely of your own making which has no real prerequisites besides your own critical uh, requirements going to be really interesting i'm still sort of not entirely set on the way i'm structuring the show in terms of some sort of discussion at the front of the show and then a recommendation at the end. But I don't know. I feel like it's working at the moment. I'm going to stick with it. The recommendation for this week is an album by an artist called Author and Punisher, one-man band. The album is Beastland, and it's really interesting because it's it's a bit hard to describe the actual sound. It's an industrial doom project. What's really fascinating about it is it's apparently, apparently the music primarily utilizes custom fabricated machine controllers and speakers called drone dub machines that author and punisher has created he's apparently a mechanical engineer which is really interesting because talking a little bit earlier about creation of new genres um, by sort of going outside the bounds of existing categories what's really interesting and we don't see and and we don't really see that much of in heavy metal because we've kind of got the traditional instruments that we use guitars voice and drums as well as some other instruments for particular bands participating in particular kinds of music like violin keyboards various other kinds of things including traditional musical instruments creating instruments specifically to make your own kind of music that kind of create something special and this um I, I don't think it's adequate characterization of the music is dubstep but it really kind of recalled some of those aspects to me when i used to listen to that music back in the early 2010s when it was sort of becoming when it sort of had its heyday and what was really interesting about that time was its relation to the metal community it sort of had aspects that heavy metal fans could appreciate and it also offered some kind of new stuff the the heavy heavy bass lines which aren't really present in heavy metal to the same degree unless you're talking about stuff like stoner and drone doom and in that it's very very different it's got a very different feel to it so definitely i wouldn't just call it dubstep or anything like that but very it kind of brought back those memories to me very interesting experience i encourage you to listen to beastland by author and punisher that's all for this week our uh, next week i'm gonna have an interview with plowshare really really cool band from canberra i hope you join me then thanks for listening